our play was just volume. You know, we could outwrite anybody. <laughs> um, my whole job was to just write, 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 you know, and conducting some experiments to help us grow. But like primarily it was volume. Ground Up, episode 28. That was Ginny Minio talking about the strategy behind driving HubSpot's content machine during its pre-IPO days. She was part of that team when it was just three bloggers. They pretty much wrote the book on content marketing and acted as their own best case study for inbound marketing. But Minio isn't so sure this playbook delivers like it used to. She spent the last year running platform at Nextview Ventures, where she's worked with startups, sometimes with relatively short runways, wondering if the content playbook, the conventional one at least, should be their focus. That old playbook of publishing volume and sharing via social is a tired one, mainly because everyone else is doing it, but also because the channels where marketers interact have grown and evolved too. In our conversation, Ginny shares what worked at HubSpot, how that playbook has evolved, and how businesses everywhere should adapt their content and acquisition strategies as a result. We'll get into all that in a minute, but first, since Ginny is leaving Boston after 10 years for Chicago to pursue other opportunities, I decided to lead off with something pretty important, pizza. And more specifically, how's a girl from Jersey going to adapt to thick crust pizza? I think I'll have to be okay with it. You know, it's it's different than Boston pizza, which is a good thing because Boston pizza is terrible. Um, but I think you <laughs> I wasn't know, gonna say that, but then you went there, like you. Yeah. I did. I have no problem going there. I have pizza loyalties to New Jersey, New York, and so I think Chicago just will be different, and we will enjoy it for its differences. Right, right, and, and let's talk about that for a sec because we have a lot of listeners here to talk about uh, that are that are you know obviously in the Boston uh, tech space too. Regina Pizza. It's good, right? Like I'm not a native. I'm not from Massachusetts. Neither is Ginny. Um, but Ginny, I think you had the best description of it. It's it's fine. Yeah, right? it's it's fine. <laughs> it's a seven out of ten. Whereas you know, and that's the best pizza you can get in Boston. And then when you go to New York, New Jersey, like the casual pizza place that you walk into, like grab a dollar slice, like that's going to rival Regina's pretty easily. <laughs> All right, we're just pissing people off right at the beginning. Here. Uh, <laughs> please still listen, please. <laughs> but but Ginny's also glancing over New Haven Pizza, which uh, obviously I'm biased is is to me is the best in in, in the in the country. Uh, I mean, Pepe's Pizza is always at the top of the list on on Discovery Channel when they do their best pizza, right? So you know, we don't need to get into this argument. We John. don't. We I, don't. I appreciate New Haven Pizza, but you know, <laughs> right? But the point is. You're 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 going out to Chicago. The pizza's yeah. different, but you're you're going out there for different reasons. So, um, have you decided like what it is? Maybe that because yeah, obviously you've spent a lot of time in the marketing, in sales tech space over the last ten years. Like, have you decided maybe like what what you want to do next? Yeah, I think the best thing that I've done at Nextview is gotten to see the breadth of how different companies grow. And a lot of our portfolio companies, some of them are MarTech sales tech, but a lot of them are, you know, consumer facing or business facing apps that are like a little bit more consumery feeling. Um, so I'm hoping to, you know, get back into the growth marketing side on a company that looks a little different than the companies I worked for before. Um, definitely still interested in marketing, definitely still interested in growth, but really ready to like dive in and get my hands dirty on like an earlier startup again. 
Right. And you've had, uh, obviously a ton of experience in that space, specifically HubSpot, right? And, and, uh, something that you wrote recently that I wanted to dig in on, you wrote this post and, you know, uh, a lot of people write posts like this, but given your background, like it, it carries, uh, much more weight. So you wrote this post, uh, a couple months ago and it was the old content marketing playbook doesn't work anymore. And like I said, you, you could probably see, 10 posts this month that were probably written in similar themes. But give, again, given your background at HubSpot during that time at HubSpot too, because like the growth primarily off the back of content was so, was just so such a steep growth curve. Um, mm. Like your experience, like you, you come, your, you know, uh, your thoughts and advice come from a place that I think are much more uh, informed, right. Than, than many people <laughs> writing posts like that. So I'll take that. Thanks, John. <laughs> so you wrote this post called the old content marketing playbook, doesn't work anymore. And before like we dig into the details of, you know, sort of like what's happened there and your thoughts on that, I want to to just quickly uh, take a step back and talk about HubSpot, right? Because mm -hmm. the content marketing playbook um, in many ways was popularized, if not in, in a lot of ways created and innovated by HubSpot, right? And the things mm -hmm. that you guys did during that stretch of I mean, it's it's still going on, but especially during the time that you were there, right? Um, yeah. So definitely. talk about like what was, you know, if there was a playbook, right? Like what was working during your time at HubSpot? What did the content, the quote unquote old content marketing playbook look like? Yeah, definitely. So I joined HubSpot in 2013, like March of 2013. And at the time, there was me and two other women on the blog and we only had a blog. It was HubSpot's blog. And we talked primarily about marketing, any sort of topic that was related to our tool. Um, and when I joined, traffic had been kind of, you know, stagnant for, not stagnant, but just like slowly growing. We were at about a million and a half visitors a month. Um, and that was true for the first like six-ish months. Um, and within the year of me joining, uh, we figured out, you know, new topics to be addressing, um, and just sort of like ramped up our volume plays, um, as well as formats, things like that, trying to break through that plateau. Uh, we also, within the year of me joining, uh, brought and launched two new sections to our blog or three even. Um, so instead of just having this one stream of, you know, classic, like, 2010 blogging, where it's just like a chronological view of the posts that you've written. Um, instead, we were thinking ourselves of ourselves more of a publication. So we had a section about sales. We had a section about agency-related content. We had a section just for our agency contributors. Um, so you know, within the span of six months, we went from a team of three to like an outsourced team of you know six people in house, and then you know count it 15 or 20 money, regular contributors. Um, so, you know, you could say by looking at all that, that our play was just volume. You know, we could outright anybody. <laughs> um, my whole job was to just write, 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 you know, and conducting some experiments to help us grow. But like, primarily it was volume. And I think within, you know, two-ish years at HubSpot, we realized, you know, there is a, there's a time and a place for volume. And volume certainly will sustain the uh, HubSpot blogging strategy for a certain period. But we tried to look and see, you know, our team kind of maxed out per section at about three people. So we tried to look and see like, okay, how can we find efficiencies here, continue to grow, grow really quickly, but um, not just like pump out posts that some of them would be getting, you know, 
very few views in comparison to the total. And then, um, you know, we'd have a couple that do really, really well. And those really, really great posts would end up driving the majority of a traffic in a, in a given month. Um, so we tried to, you know, conduct some experiments. I actually ran a six month experiment to try to figure out what was the right distribution of the types of content we were writing, um, how often we should be publishing, um, what does like quality mean for content. Um, but I think like, it's, it was all just like a volume play, right? Like we had a ton of content. I think we had maybe 5,000 blog posts in total by the time that I left, maybe 6,000 even. Um, so I think as I was uh, finishing my tenure at HubSpot, we started to realize that, you know, we couldn't just rely on blogging forever. You know, we saw the writing on the wall. We saw all of these new social networks developing their own, like, owned content. These social networks really wanted you to stay on their network, like LinkedIn, launch their publishing platform, try to get a bunch of influencers on there. Um, and that the act of, like, owning your content on your website, uh, that was going to change. And so we needed to get ahead of that. Um, so we started you know, experimenting with some, we call them offsite content channels. So things like medium, things like our podcast. Um, and we started experimenting with these to see, you know, could we build audiences in places that were not attached to our website? And the answer is yes, you can. Um, and you know, we, I did that for maybe a year and a half. We started to build those up, um, the podcast and the medium publication to be, you know, sizable portions of our overall content strategy. Um, but, it, and, and I was excited by all of that. I, it all seemed, you know, really great for us to diversify our content strategy, but I think it really hit me how much had changed when I went to Nextview because suddenly I was talking with startups who had maybe one marketer, like maybe not like the 20 people on a HubSpot content team. And these people, you know, are at new companies that are trying to, you know, they're, they're the David going after the Goliath. They're trying to disrupt these huge industries. And they were trying to weigh, you know, should we be doing content? And I found myself going back to them saying like, maybe, maybe not. You know, when you are a startup and you have only so much time to devote to strategies that might not pay off in, you know, six to 12 months, and you only have six to 12 months before your money runs out, like, I don't know if I would recommend content to you. Um, so I think I kept, you know, having these conversations with our portfolio companies and I started taking a look at, you know, how HubSpot's content strategy was evolving and how some of the growing startups that I was following, how they were evolving too. And I started to see like, you know, for a startup today to try to do content marketing, it's super, super different than in 2012. Um, but I think a lot of founders saw what happened in 2012. They think that they can just replicate that through some brute force effort today, but the landscapes changed, um, in terms of the channels and what's, what type of things are being rewarded on the channels. People as consumers consume content really differently. And there's this whole, you know, what is real news and what's fake news thing to worry about. Um, it just, it, the content landscape is super different than it used to be. And I think when I'm talking with different startups and counseling them on how to think through a content strategy, my answer changes. It looks very different than it did, you know, five, six years ago. Right. And, and when you talk about the old playbook not working, you kind of run through, 
you know, a few of the reasons. And you kind of briefly touched on some of those. And to listeners, it's it's not all going to be doom and gloom. So the the first few points here might might seem like, oh man, like do do I even invest in it? But I promise you, like Ginny's not all doom and gloom. She <laughs> she she does have uh, really good advice on how to think about content differently because I don't think it's about. Uh, whether to do it or not. It's about thinking about it differently, right? Um, so one of the things you bring up, and it's funny because I just saw uh, a post from ProfitWell about this, um, the guys over at Price Intelligently about the customer acquisition cost of, of content and how that's gone up, right? And mm-hmm. and it's closing the gap um, with paid advertising, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Um, yeah. But y- you've talked about how content production has skyrocketed, right? Like mm-hmm. most maybe not most, but a lot of businesses have blogs now, right? They've bought into the inbound methodology. They produce content. A lot of it has a longer tail on it, which to your point, like if you have a short runway, you know, of six to 12 months um, before your money runs out, you know, it, it, there might be some things you need to do in the meantime, right? So some, some bigger plays, but, but anyways, like what, um, like what have you observed in terms of like how that like sort of proliferation of content has impacted like, our ability, everyone's ability to be able to have like an effective strategy. Yeah. I think, you know, when there's more, well, I'll step back. The way that I think about content um, and the way I think about reaching audiences is I think about the time in a day that your audience has to spend with you potentially, or just media in general, right? Um, At HubSpot, we were selling to small business owners, um, small marketing teams and things like that. And the amount of time that they might be able to spend with us as a brand or just like researching marketing um, could be, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a day tops, like tops. And so as more and more brands are publishing content with the hope of their audience researching information, you know, going through Google and their information comes up at the top and that their audience then tries to spend time with them by learning more about whatever topic they want to learn about. Um, as more and more brands are doing that, it becomes so much more competitive for you to reach the same person with that uh, allocation of time that they put together each day, you know, to learn about something or read about something, step outside their, their day-to-day job. Um, so I think that it just is really, really challenging. Um, as more and more people are, are blogging, you're just competing for the same fixed amount of attention. And part of that playbook too, and HubSpot was, was great at this, was you're producing the content, but then you're distributing it, right? Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, LinkedIn. So those channels, back when you were, you know, in, in the heyday of the content strategy at HubSpot looked a lot different, right? Like Facebook or organic now is, is, is so it's like much nothing. different. Yeah, it's, it's like nothing. It's basically, it's basically like, should you post, right? I mean, yeah, like I had actually someone asked me the other day, they were like, next year doesn't have a Facebook page. I'm like, yeah, you're right. We don't. <laughs> Unless you're going to pay for the ads. It, it, it's, yeah. it's like you, you can reach like 20 of your followers. Right, um, right. And then if, the, yeah, and yeah. So, so, um, and yeah, like you were mentioning earlier, uh, in terms of like uh, the trust of content, like face- Facebook has obviously had some issues there. Um, mm-hmm. But it, yeah, you, you talk about the channels, like at, you know, especially 2010, 11, 12, like it was Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn was even kind of like a ghost town, right? Like, yeah, it was. There, there, there were like a, groups, but right. like that was mostly it. <laughs> and, and Google Plus, remember that? That was cute. Oh, that, that was throwback. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> The, and and uh, but and you've talked about how now that there's sort of like fewer 
well, there, there's more channels, right? Like now there's, there's more apps, there's, there's WhatsApp, there's messenger, all these things have turned into marketing channels and there's a higher barrier, right? As we were just talking about Facebook, there's a higher mm-hmm. barrier to reaching a wide audience. So that, that playbook, uh, you know, that HubSpot was, was using back in 2010, 11, 12, would that work as well now? Or have you seen it working as well? I mean, I think it really depends on the business you're in and the channels you're going after. Um, I think, uh, let's say you're a consumer brand on Facebook or Instagram, like all the consumer startups I talk to, like that is their bread and butter. They do, they spend, they have somebody like dedicated full time to optimizing those ads, getting that, you know, cost per click down. And, you know, they would say like, you can rip Facebook or Instagram from my cold dead hands, you know, but I think if you, but they're spending a lot of money there. That's why those are so important and they're able to get the reach that they can. Um, but the, you know, for a B2B brand, it used to be like, of course you would do this on Facebook. Of course you'd have a Facebook. And now, you know, I like even looking at my own Facebook feed and I follow a ton of brands on there just as, you know, being a part of marketing, it's very rare that I see an organic Facebook post there. Um, so I think that like, it really depends on the channels that you're using and where your audience is. But I would say that for most of these channels, um, the, these are established channels, right? Um, Facebook no longer cares about having like back in 2012, they really needed brands, media companies to put content on those plat on those platforms so that they could get more users. And right now they have plenty of users. They don't need right. media companies. They don't need brands. Um, and so they're focused much more on, you know, having users trust and use that platform because, you know, as of all that's unfolded in the past year and a half. Um, but so I think that like, the channels that digital marketers have been using in the past, you know, six years, they're, they're no longer incentivizing brands necessarily to be posting that original content. Um, and so it's no longer this like sneaky upstart strategy for startups to be able to maneuver around these big incumbents. Instead, it's like these huge companies now have budgets to spend on these platforms that really want to take their money. Right, right. And you're starting to see like LinkedIn is is interesting to me right now, because it's almost Mm -hmm. like they're in a similar spot where Facebook was, as you just mentioned, where they just want you on there and they just want you to post. They just want brands posting. And it's hot right now because, uh, because they're the way their algorithm works. And like, you know, Ginny, like if you go and post a video and I like it and now shows your video to my whole network. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the, the inherent virality in, in LinkedIn posts now is, is there and it probably won't be in, yes. in a few years, right? Like if yeah. they're able to get like, if they're able to make it stick and they're able to, you know, increase adoption. Um, totally. so like that, that's even temporary. Um, yep. but it's, so it's, so it's, uh, so content production has skyrocketed. The channels, uh, have expanded, but also the, it's, it's harder to reach your audience, even if they're, organically liking your page it's it's harder to reach them um Mm -hmm. many platforms have become more pay to play um and 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 one that uh, i wanted to ask you about was Mm -hmm. also some of the mediums that marketers are using i mean we're we're talking on one right now right like audio and video video is one of those things like it's always been important right it just wasn't easy to produce now it's really easy to produce so it's blown up so like what are your thoughts on audio and video because you hear a lot of people it's like either or like do i stop right is 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 the written word not as big anymore should i do more podcast should i do more video like what are your 
do you do you see a lot of do you get a lot of questions about like the mix there on on where people should focus their time in terms of content? I do, but I like and maybe this is a poor answer, but I always focus on how that thing is being delivered. Right? Like audio in and of itself, like people have been telling stories to each other verbally for years decades, centuries, you know, like that hasn't changed people wanting to listen to things that hasn't changed. And I don't think that's going to change that much in like, you know, a year, something like that. But what might change is the way that they receive that information, right? So um, I have been waiting for this to happen and we'll see if this actually happens. But, you know, Apple had this like monopoly on podcasts for so long and they, you know, dictated how people would discover podcasts. Their rankings were um, not, you know, transparent with everybody. So you're kind of at the whim of their editorial team and, you know, some of the back end algorithm there. Um, but you can see Spotify, for example, and Google Play more recently making some moves into helping people discover audio content. So I think that um, when you're looking at different mediums like video or audio, I would actually just look at human behavior and see what kind of technologies they're interacting with and how they're doing that. Um, like video has always been important. Audio has always been important. Written word has always been important. Um, but it's really about, you know, how are people receiving those mediums um, versus the mediums themselves? Right. And a big part of that is search engines still. And, mm-hmm. and largely, they still favor the written word. Now, voice is, is something that's going to obviously become a bigger factor over time. Mm-hmm. I don't th- I don't, I'm not sure anybody really has like the, the forecast on what that will look like eventually. Mm-hmm. But um, I think for me, and this is just my own behavior, is like... Uh, and this happens to me all the time is like when I'm, you know, I, I have, I have kids now. So like, I'm always putting together shit like yeah. uh, toys or, or uh, new like furniture, Ikea cribs, furniture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cribs, like all this stuff. And I find myself on the floor with my phone and I'll Google like uh, what, it, you know, whatever the model is of the product I'm trying to put together because the directions are crap. And mm-hmm. I always find myself still going to, depending on what it is, the scannable, bullet points, um, the written word, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and when I search on my phone, the, the written word is still favored. So I think yeah. when people say like, oh, should, should, I, should I underinvest in the written word and, and pour more into audio and video? And I think your point is a good one, which is think about how it's delivered, um, especially audio. Um, mm-hmm. And you just talked about this. Unless you're on the platforms themselves, they're not easily discoverable right now, right? Yeah. Like I think podcasts are still, believe it or not, like, in the early stages, um, yeah, you can't, absolutely. marketers can't track them. So it's like a yep. black box and, mm-hmm. and you know, as well as anyone, things that marketers can't track, they don't do because they need to like, they need to have the ROI. They need to optimize for it. Um, yeah, I get it. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the second thing is they're not easily discoverable, right? There's it's unless you go on iTunes or you go on Google play or you go on Spotify and you're looking for them. It's, yeah. it's you, you don't just come across them. So, right. I think in thinking about delivery, in my opinion, written word is still uh, probably uh, the most important in terms of like just how people are presented with it. But um, yeah, I, I think audio and video, there's so much, there's so much opportunity and potential there. I just don't yeah. know if anybody really knows how it's going to play out. Uh, yes, I that, would totally agree with that. And I think that the like audio video question could be more of like an audience retention strategy, right. at least that it's, it's a brand in its current play. state. Yep. Yeah. Or just like. Uh, you could think about it as a nurturing play 
um, like at HubSpot, we looked at our podcast and saw try to run a list of people who had subscribed to get updates about the podcast over email. So again, small subset and potentially not overlapping with whoever gets it downloaded on uh, iTunes. But we looked at that and matched up against our database and said, okay, um, what percentage of this podcast are executives? Because that was a key audience for us. And we found that like, oh, these folks were executives and they actually were more likely to buy from us or this like helped us accelerate the sales cycle by having them on this podcast list. Um, I forgot so, you worked on the podcast or you worked on the growth show for a little bit, right? Yeah, it was, it was like a year and a half. So right. yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's a big podcasting. Show. Yeah. So I think like podcasting and how that plays into the overall or any sort of multimedia that's like difficult to track and all of that, like it's really really, uh, there, there's some creative ways that you can figure out, you know, how is this influencing the purchase or how is this influencing customer retention and happiness or, you know, a host of other metrics. Um, you can find those like directional, that directional information, I think. Right. We use, um, for, for video at, at Databox, we use it primarily as like an in-app, um, education piece so if you have a question mm -hmm. on how to set something up rather i mean we have help docs but rather than exclusively just send people like really dense help docs we'll also have like a little video you know uh that they can play and and sort of we walk them through how to do it and you know minute long videos on how to use a, a certain feature so like that's where we've invested in video so so yeah. not not really at the top of the funnel so much but more you know uh as as you said a retention piece onboarding piece um but again, it's it's tricky to track, you know, how effective they are because how much of the video uh, do they need to watch in order to? And, and some apps like that serve mm -hmm. like in-app content don't track video plays. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's just another one of those things that um, I think the the analytics will eventually catch up and and uh, and and that's when you'll see like the over proliferation of of people using it more. Um, <laughs> That's true. Once yeah. you can track it, everyone will just try to optimize the shit out of it. That's it. Like, is, I feel like so much of, of, uh, and, and HubSpot did this and a lot of brands did this in the, in the early two thousands and being early to blogging, you know, before there was a lot of metrics on how, how effective it was. It's just like being at the places where it's not easy to track. Like that's usually the spots where less people are hanging out. Right. And that's yeah. like where a lot of opportunity lies. Yep. Um, and it seems like the audio and video is kind of there because you can't track it as well as you can content or anything else on your website. But, yeah. um, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure. And voice and voice is probably something too. It's yes. a whole nother animal that I know very yes. little about. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Same yeah. here. Um, Lots to learn. So something you said too, um, uh, so we, we just went through a few things that are you know, problems on why the playbook isn't working anymore. So just to recap, production is way up, right? As, as everybody knows, most people listening here are producing content in some way. Uh, the channels have expanded and also they're, it's, it's harder in order to reach your audience on those channels. Um, so what you talked about in your article was ways to sort of circumvent some of these challenges. And one of the things you said was stop thinking of content as just blogging. What do you mean mm -hmm. by that? Uh, so I, talk to people a lot about content and they frequently, they're like, okay, Jenny, we need a content strategy. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's talk. And the first thing they say, they go, okay, so we're thinking of publishing two times a week. Do you think that's enough? <laughs> and I go, okay, blah, 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 back up, back up. Why do you think blogging it? Like, why is blogging on your list? 
And they're like, well, you know, that's like largely content. We have lots of writers. I'm like, no, 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 no. Back up again. Like, who is your audience? Are they reading blogs? Are like, how do they look for information? Are you part of their information search process? Or like, how do they find you? And so we start like going through like all these steps, like backpedaling a ton. Um, because I think too many people, you know, have bought into the content strategy or bought into content as something as, that should be core to their acquisition. Um, and they're like, you know what? Blogging, that's the answer. Um, but I, I just think it's so short-sighted and I think you can actually get down a really poor path if you immediately jump in and say, I should be blogging. Like that is not necessarily the answer. You could be spending your time. Content is really time intensive. So you could be spending your time in much better, more effective ways um, than just, you know, pounding out a thousand word blog post and hitting publish. So where do those, where do you start with, with, with people like that in terms of like the, the next question that they're going to have is, okay, well then what channel should I use or what tool, what is, what is content? And that's going to be different for everyone, right? Yes. Yes. So the, my response to them when they're like, what do I do? I'm like, so who are you, like, have you talked to your customers? Right. Where do, where do they hang nine out? Nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, they're like, oh no, I talk to them for my product, but I don't talk to them about my marketing. I'm like, right. that's so silly. All of those are like all together. They, you, you can't have successful marketing without understanding, you know, how your current customers interact, um, you know, how your customers that you want to be bringing in, how they interact. Um, so I usually say like, you know, I'll sit down and chat content with you all day. I'm happy to talk through different channels, the different ways that you can maximize your effect from them, how to think about building a strategy on these channels. But all of this could be nullified in 10 minutes by you talking to your customer. They might <laughs> tell you, like, like, I don't read blogs. I don't trust them. Right, right. You know? And then, like, okay, then, like, your whole perspective needs to shift. So I, like... The, the biggest piece of advice I end up giving startups when I talk about content is say, okay, sit down with five to 10 customers, do user interviews with them, but do it from a marketing perspective. You already do this from your product perspective. Um, so it, it's not like difficult. It's not foreign. It's just like, you have to go in with that understanding that, you know, there, there are so many tools for you to acquire customers, like your customers, your users, whoever you're trying to bring on to your company, like they might act different than you anticipate based on, you know, reading about marketing strategy as a whole. Uh, your, your users have most of the answers, but I think for a lot of companies there exists this like moat around like between marketing and the customers like oh we don't we don't talk mm -hmm. to them that's like that's for like support right or that's mm -hmm. for like pms and and it's and it's like no effective really effective marketers uh are really close to the customer and know like how do they discover new information like yeah um and uh i talked from from nick at help scout last week and and he had a great line that he repeated like three or four times and it's like he wanted to be able to finish his customer's sentences. And so oh, he, would, he would ask for phone numbers on all of uh, their sign-up forms in the early days of Help Scout, not because they wanted to, they didn't have salespeople. They didn't want to like uh, call them up on the phone and, and try to sell them on the product. He would just call them up and be like, hey, I just want to understand more about like why you signed up, like what, what mm. problems you're having. And he would do that to every single person until wow. he can, in his words, finish their sentences for them. And I think, yeah, uh, yeah I think that that's what you're getting at is – uh, to to really understand like what's going to work best, break down those barriers and, and talk to talk to users, and uh, they usually have most of the answers that we don't have. Yes. Um, 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Another thing that you brought up earlier is get over owning all of your content, which has been controversial in the past, right? For SEO purposes, right? You (laughs) want to build everything in your backyard. What do you, so what do you mean by get over owning all of your content? So I hear a lot of marketers struggling with this uh, because they feel like they, you know, have spent so much time. They need to hold their content as closely to their like chest as possible. Right. Like, you know, this is about our brand. This is going to help our brand. This is going to help us acquire people. I need to have them on the website. They are quick, you know, 10% conversion process away from, you know, becoming a customer or user or whatever. Um, And I think that that's honestly kind of backwards, right? Like you don't want to be trying to funnel people through your website if they're not trying to go through there, right? Like you think about how much effort you spend trying to make those conversion funnels happen when a lot of times uh, people just want to stay on the platforms that they've, you know, over the past five, six years have been incentivized to stay on. Um, so at HubSpot, we, we call this like offsite content. Um, but I think that this is really applicable to lots of growing companies, whether you're a startup or not. Um, your audience is spending most of their time on these different channels that these channels now have ways for you to create content to reach them. And I think this goes back to the point you brought up before, John, that's like, if you can't measure it, marketing, marketers are often saying like, okay, like I'll put that off till Q4. <laughs> like we don't need to be doing this right now. Uh, but I think that, you know, if you, you certainly don't want to put all of your eggs in the like external platform content basket, right? Because you can see that this has happened to multiple different like media companies, most recently with like the uh, Facebook uh, algorithm change that's disincentivizing like very uh, emotive content. You know, they did this before with the like curiosity gap headline stuff that, you know, overnight took certain media companies from, you know, millions and millions and millions of views to, you know, a couple thousand. So you don't want to be completely dependent on these external platforms. But I think marketers should be using them more often, right? And there's ways to to get around this. So um, at NextView, we actually do most of our content is now this like distributed content. Um, we blog uh, almost exclusively on Medium versus our own nextviewventures.com site. Um, and we also have been doing some tests on LinkedIn. We talked about that a little bit before too, um, of posting, you know, excerpts from our articles in uh, LinkedIn status updates. Um, so all of that content is like living away from our site, but it's helping us get closer to where our target audience actually lives. Right. And I think with, uh, more consistent content there, um, if your business is highly dependent on trust and highly dependent on people, you know, caring about you or your executives as people, um, it's very important that you think about putting content on these, you know, external, not trackable, not ownable places. Uh, Because I do think that, you know, as technology progresses and uh, people get used to interacting with different apps in and of themselves versus, you know, doing all of their search and discovery through Google, um, you just got to be able to to pivot where you're putting your content and playing by those, those different platforms games. Agreed. And even in some of them, like Medium, you can, you can note the canonical tags. So like Medium won't count as, you know, duplicate content. So you can treat Medium as essentially a social network, right? You're just reposting content. 
Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is like, it's an either or do I move my blog there or do I write this post for medium or my blog? You can do both. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that, yeah, that, that tends to work well. Um, yeah. uh, using content to go deep instead of wide. Um, uh, th- this one I think is one that, uh, has probably been, uh, been sound advice for a long time, but now it's become sort of almost necessary. So uh, just uh, talk about what you mean by that. So I think that, you know, in the 2011, 2012 era of content marketing, it was all about like, reach the biggest audience, use content to um, reel people in, they read the content, they trust you, they convert on a call to action at the bottom of your blog post, they sign up for, you know, a free trial, and then ta-da, you are, you know, you have a lead that your sales team can can work. Um, and they're always about getting like bigger and bigger and bigger audiences. Um, and while I think audience scale is always going to be a priority for marketers, I think more and more now, as especially like in the B2B space, more and more people are trying to pick off like a set number of target accounts. Um, so let's say you have um, a product that you're launching in different cities, right? And each city requires, like, you're, you're trying to bring on, you know, local uh, people versus, like, you know, everybody in the U.S. or, you know, anybody in the world who happens to have a certain job description. Um, you could create content that's super focused on that uh, that location, that job's title, and that actually might be really effective to having you, you know, reach that target account. And, you know, this is all like what account-based marketing is, but, and I think that there are much smarter people who have been talking about this longer than I have, but I do think that, you know, more people should be thinking about not just like, okay, this piece of content can get us a new audience member, but they also should be thinking about, okay, this new audience member, like if that member is part of this target account, that's even more valuable. How can we create resources? How can we create uh, content uh, to reach these people who are super, super valuable to the business? Um, so I think this is not novel, but it's something that's really worth talking about now because with the stakes being higher and higher for getting new audience and building this like really massive audience that you can then like convert down a funnel, um, this can actually be a really effective use of time. And the last thing that you put in the article was actually something that I think one of the partners at Nextview you had written uh, uh, told your team, which is that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Um, and your last sort of lesson was look to the past. So look to maybe some of the old school, quote unquote, tactics that reemerge when proliferation makes maybe some of the current things not as effective anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually read a piece in Inc. the other day about this with a lot of direct-to-consumer brands who all started with the promise of, you know, using online information to get directly to the consumer. And you watch them now, like, opening up retail stores, (laughs) the thing that they were (laughs) strictly against to start. And I think it's a lot of just, like, you know, where's the white space? People do this all the time when they're building companies. They do it all the time. And I think it's just, you know, for marketers to have that entrepreneurial mindset of, okay, like, where can I go? Uh, what, what things are not saturated yet? And how can I get there quickly? That's a good lesson just for, for your overall content marketing uh, strategy in general, just right. That, that, that should be the overall theme. Um, so I guess just to wrap, should people feel 
should people feel uh, nervous, concerned about their content strategies going forward? Should they uh, invest less and 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 more in paid? So I guess what's um, uh, it sounds like the theme is more. It's not that it it doesn't work. It just needs to be constantly reimagined. Yes, yes. It's it's not that it doesn't work. It just the 2012 version of content marketing doesn't work today. That's okay. Like it, content itself has been around longer than the term content marketing. Um, and it's going to be around much longer after that. I think what will remain constant is the ability to use information to empower your audience, to reach them in a way that doesn't feel like scammy or slimy or silly. Um, that I think is not going to change how you actually do that. That's probably going to change just like technology changes. So I think, you know, marketers have changed a lot over the past, you know, decade. Uh, and I would just expect that to continue to change, which is part of what makes marketing so fun. You heard it here. Jenny, this was a lot. Of, I could sit here, honestly, probably all day and just keep riffing on content. Uh, yeah. This, this was a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited to see to see where you end up. I mean, whatever whatever early stage company scoops you up is, is going to be is going to be really lucky. So I think we're uh, I just can't wait to see how, how this all plays out for you and good luck on your, on your move to, to Chicago. If I don't talk to you before June and, uh, yeah, uh, you, you said you, you had mentioned earlier, you're going to do some traveling, any, any, anywhere like sort of planned out yet? Yeah. Uh, well, this was awesome, John. Thank you. Um, I, it's always a delight to chat content with you. Um, but yeah, no, in terms of travels, uh, we're hoping to travel for an actual month. So I think anywhere on the globe is fair game right now. Just one thing for us to figure out. <laughs> All right, right. Another another decision, All right? Well, well. good luck, Jenny. It was great having you on. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.